that uh, I, I remember seeing a great uh, meme going around one time, which is a good lesson to any politician, which is essentially, uh, you know, religion is like a penis. It's all right to have one. It's all right to be proud of it. But don't take it out and start waving it around. I shall, I shall bear that in mind, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I shall keep that in my, my head um, and in my trousers. Um, I'm uh, glad. <laughs> um, yeah, where, where, yeah, I mean, and, and I agree with what you said about Kate Forbes, I, and I hold a very different theology to Kate Forbes, but she has the right to say what she wants to say. Where I think I have a greater issue with her is the way that uh, in the public debate uh, this week that she has almost lampooned every single Scottish National Party policy in the last uh, three months. Now, John, in terms of uh, are, are you a bit of an activist for the for the for the gay movement? You know, I've had lots of yeah. uh, people on the Godcast. Peter Tatchell was on recently. Yeah. Who's been an incredible advocate not just for gay rights but for civil rights and and you know what over the years mm. um I, I wonder you know i wonder how somebody like you looks upon the church you know i'm obviously i'm part of the church church of england and we've been battling away over over the last year quite terribly really about whether we we should be blessing same-sex relationships and as an inclusive priest i've been Yes. Uh, from the rooftops to advocate that but but somebody on on the outside of the church john does it matter what what the church thinks or does in some respects it does because the church is still the establishment and 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 i've been disappointed Alex, by the speed of progress for lgd lgbt people in the anglican church and i, I think you were at the synod meeting where it was decided priests will be allowed to bless civil marriages of same-sex couples. And, and I recognise that there are opposing views, but the blessing really isn't enough. And full equality for LGBT plus Christians still seems a distant hope, and it will push more people away from the church. LGBT couples still can't marry in church. It's a discrimination which is really rather depressing. I think society has moved on and the church is in danger of being left behind. The final frontier against the secularization of Britain and the, you know, and the secular church that they perceive has gone apostate, and they must stand firm against the devil because they see me and others who preach what we do as the devil, and therefore they won't give an inch. I mean, not even a breadcrumb of an inch, and that's what we saw last February was a pushback, you know, and yet synod for which is the debating chamber, the power chamber, if you like, voted to move forward a, a very small step, the smallest step that the bishops could come up with. And the Conservatives threw their toys out the pram and said, no, we, you know, this is, you're asking us to do the impossible. We can't do that. We need to a... be mild prayers, honestly. I mean, you mentioned via media, a piece that's come out today, um, which I haven't yet plugged on social media, but will do, which is arguing that actually even the prayers in the prayers of love and faith are not even mentioning the fact this is actually a couple. They're making out it's friends, just friends. So it's become even smaller yeah, I know. Than, than I thought it was going to be. And I don't know where we go with that because the alternative is, you know, shoot the whole thing down in flames like we did in 2017. Then what? We've got nothing. Starts with me having this revelation as a young black woman, you know, not that young, actually, when I was in my 20s, a sudden realisation that God is not white. Um, and that's despite me kind of 
every time I pray or imagine God or imagine Jesus, I would picture a white person because I've been I've grown up in this context in which every image that we see is of God being white. I think some people fall into the trap of thinking, well, you know, Chinese people see God as Chinese and black people see God as black. Um, yes, there's different depictions, but the predominant image of God is, is white. It's not just about images though. Like images aren't the, the point that I'm trying to- um... Drunk. Every time I did mess up, I was drunk, you know? Um, if that makes sense, like, um, and, you know, because I had many, many times where I was drunk, but didn't end up in trouble. But when the trouble came along, it was always on the back of me being drunk. And, yeah. you know, and like I say, the penny just didn't drop. It really didn't. And whether that's ignorance or I think it was part, I think from large parts of it, it was a complete un lack of understanding of what actually alcoholism is. You know, when I have an acute understanding of what it is now, and and I didn't at that point. You know, I had no, I had no um nowhere to go or turn with it until I actually did sort of surrender on that one day when you know I've had enough now. I this is me done. I have options yeah. here. I either take my own life or I try and get help. And thankfully, I got help. It feels really pertinent talking about this with, you know, a guy who used to play for Blackpool as well. After what's happened there against my my beloved club Burnley and the consequences of, of of violence and obviously not knowing what's happened but it it is terribly sad isn't it that these that these think similar to what we're doing now the battle on the past you know takes a long time takes 50 years at least to have something to talk about for a long time yeah that must be lovely for you though to to be held in that that regard by the dot the dots community you know you really are, you know. I mean, that word "legend" does get thrown about, but you know, it, you know, people of my generation and people of this generation, you know, pick out a name from darts, and your name's going to be there, isn't it? Which I'm thankful to, yeah. And then it's not the plan; it's what happens in life, isn't it? That happened to be what's happened to me, you know. And other people actually gone out of the game because they can't play anymore. Some have carried on. Some have. The money now is incredible, so if they do well for about five years, they can actually afford not to play again. Yeah, I think yeah, not an awful lot of deep love for one another. Uh, and after somebody who's worked for Argos, as I haven't explained about in my book, you know, yeah. managers at senior level, the, the, the difference is vast, you know. The Argos, the secular world was friendly, welcoming, encouraging, supportive. General Synod seems anything but that. And and I wonder if you feel it's fit for purpose or whether or not. No, I mean, I, I've always said that, that I've always joked that I have a group of friends who should have a contract taken out on my life if I ever end up on General Synod because it would be a kind of mercy killing. Those awkward Christians for this generation, and maybe that's what we're called to be. It's not comfortable for us either, um, but maybe maybe that's why I'm here. I'm never sure why God called me to the church, really. It all seemed like a very strange idea, but, you know. That's God's fault. I think a lot of us, a lot of priests think like that, actually. <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, a few weeks ago, I was in a meeting. Uh, Charlie Ware, a conservative evangelical, said he was he was embarrassed to be part of the Church of England, which saddened me greatly. Um, I wonder what you think, you know, if, if the church does move forward and, and if ultimately becomes um, more inclusive, 
but the conservative wing of the church moves away is that a price worth paying well i don't think it has to happen i think it's a choice um and we've heard a lot about people breaking away which feels to me to be often sitting in the realm of threat rather than in the realm of wanting to have a constructive conversation um, at the moment, the reality is that for many conservative evangelicals, there is a refusal to compromise whatsoever. Uh, and even the idea of compromise is itself a compromise. Um, and so uh, in a sense, if, if people are unable to live in a church where, where, where there are differences of opinions that are being honestly expressed, well, I, I'm not sure how we can call ourselves a church at that point, that the work's already done there. Um, we already disagree. You know, there is... There is grew how I was brought up. And my nan, who was the, the child of Irish immigrant, um, had this famous phrase. I don't know what your swearing policy is on this podcast, so feel free to it is, man. It says it is. But my nan had this phrase she said when we were growing up, and it was, you can't stop them shitting on you, but never let them rub it in. And she, there was this sort of them. and I, I don't know if it was really couched in the language of class, but there was a them, and we the, the them ran everything, and we didn't get a say. And, and there was this sort of sense of struggle. You know, and and um, I grew up with that, and and I saw that at school and elsewhere. Um, my calling back into sort of this idea of ministry came through work here in Luton, like I say, with people experiencing homelessness, with sex workers, young lads getting groomed into criminal exploitation, and I saw how badly our society is failing people. So in, in within the tradition of Catholic social teaching. We were threatening. We were abusive, in my opinion. Um, the way, it was just the way, you know, we treated them as dirt on your shoe. And, and, and some people would say, well, so they should be. And to me, you'll get no reciprocity from that. You'll get nothing back from that. So I wanted to change that quite radically. And I wanted the offender managers, to treat them very firmly, um, to manage them, uh, but to treat them with dignity because they were still human beings. And no human being will relate to being told they're a dirty, horrible, filthy paedophile. They'll never change. They may never change anyway, but they will, you know, they'll never respond to that. So what happened was I I had a boss that I went to and, 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 and they said, do, do, it's your department, do what you want. So I changed the way that we managed those individuals or I made provision to change. And I offered people, if they wanted to leave the department, they could, and a few did. But I'll tell you what, Alec, you know, when you get a sex offender that rings up the department and asks to speak to their offender manager and says, I've been on a bus today, and I can't stop looking at that little boy that travels in front of me, and, and, and my, my urges are getting stronger and stronger. Um, help me. You know, when you get that phone call, rather than dealing with that child in the after effect, um, you, you think to yourself, you've got something right. And and that's how I saw it. I saw that you people, whoever they are, you know, I can't imagine Jesus Christ walking up to anybody and treating them like dirt on his shoe. It, it wouldn't have done it, you know. A sort of what I'll call an unthinking liberalism rather than a principled liberalism. 
a sort of anything goes, you do you, without thinking, well, what if anything goes means that I dress in a nappy and, you know, poop on the train and say that that's because I'm a baby? Or what if anything goes? Uh, so, so uh, it's, I wrote about it in the book, and my epiphany was very simple. I have been reading the Bible, and I was at my lowest point in my career, but I found a sense of peace. And I'm 30 years old. I'm 30 years old. You know, it's kind of like the door is really, you. you it's like the elevator door goes yeah. like this, and you can't open it. It's like that, right? And But but I just, you know, I, I make peace with God, and my 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 i i kind of made like yeah one-sided agreement because you really cannot make an agreement with god i don't believe but this is what i declare i declare that as long as my fingers were going to keep moving i was going to keep playing but if i never made it as a musician that's okay that's fine my relationship with god will always be more important than than being a successful musician or anything else in my life that is the the my platform my base my foundation where i stand as a human being my relationship with god yeah and and um bible based actually when, when we're accused of being cafeteria christians we pick and choose i'd say the opposite is the case because if you really are, are authentic to the teachings then you should be involved in a, in a very different struggle but yeah there is this idea it's also it's become a litmus test for our faith when i was cancelled by all sorts of people they didn't say to me do you believe that jesus is the messiah do you believe jesus is a son of god and by personal relationship with him we're saved they would say do you believe in it that gay people can be married well <laughs> what where did this become the, the the test of my faith and so it's actually heretical it's yeah. heretical i don't use that term very often but it's a form of heresy to 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 reduce Christianity to this question of where do you stand on this issue? Uh, it, and it's an issue of love. So you should say, I stand with love, which is the teaching yeah, of Jesus. Absolutely. And, and, and another thing came through in, a, in, a, in the record that we made at that time. And, and, and how often does kind of uh, what might have been into the ether, you know, do, do you sometimes think, gosh, if only this or only that or... You know? Yeah, I think so. I think that, that you know that there, you know, you, you see that some of our peers, you know, you know, Oasis supported us, for example, in Manchester. We can say with pretty much certainty that most of the homophobia in the sixty-six countries that still criminalise same-sex relations is driven by organised religion, not necessarily by individual people of faith. Some of who are very supportive of LGBT plus rights but organised religion. So in Uganda, the main impetus is coming from the Church of Uganda, which is an affiliate of the Anglican Communion. Um, there have been occasionally... And that's great. We, we kind of need that. But for this one, always have in mind the person outside the church. And that doesn't mean dumbing down your Christian faith. We are explicitly Christian. We're kind of unashamed about that. We're wanting to be to speak from within the church, as it were. Um, but uh, always addressing that person outside the church. That's actually quite a good discipline. I found that actually just trying to learn to do that myself when I write for the site. I'm not writing for a Christian audience. I'm writing for an audience outside the church. 
And part of the aim of that is to is to enable, obviously, most people who read a site like this will have a faith already, and that's which, which is fine. And hopefully what they read will help them see how Christian faith relates to some of the issues that are going on in the world today. Um, but also the kind of thing that you would feel quite easily, easy passing on to a friend. Um, so, for example, we've done an article recently on the Christian faith of Ludwig Beethoven. Um, now, you might think, oh, okay, I'll read that. It's kind of interesting. But who, who do I know who likes Beethoven? I'll send, send that on to him. We don't want on Taylor Swift. You know, you might want to. So the, the idea is to kind of, it's something that people who have a faith can both learn from themselves, but also use to pass on to other people to stimulate conversations and to enable people to see that Christian faith has got something quite distinctive to offer the rest of the world and open up a whole new view of reality. And 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 regarding Synod, uh, Graham, I mean, uh, you know, it'd be very easy for me to follow the normal line, but uh, most people inside the church know that there's a huge uh, dispute and chasm between those who will bless, uh, want to bless same-sex relationships and those who don't. But, uh, you know, just to extend that discussion a bit further, because people in the church know that argument exists and, mm. And we could talk about that all day long, but but beyond that, that discussion in itself, what what is that saying to the outside of the four wall, the walls? Mm-hmm. What is that saying to a society that that has moved on? I was talking to Anderson Jeremiah about this, who's a theologian at Lancaster yeah. University, and you know he's saying that kids kids are different; they've moved now from being a place where they will be told what to think or what to believe to a place where they will question everything. So in in that subject matter, what would your comment be? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you, you're right. I mean, it's something which, I mean, on the one hand, as you say, I mean, I've, like you, I've been struck by somebody's had, had had little it's reported outside the church that it's, it's as a kind of internal fight we're having, but actually not that many people outside the church are, are interested in. Um, I think the other thing I'd say about it is that, that like, like anything, you know, the church has always had disputes and arguments amongst ourselves. And and one of the things that we we do within the site is one of the things we try to try to avoid is to get involved in the internal conversations or the internal sort of um, fights that we have. But on the other hand, it seems to me that, that it is an opportunity to be able to talk to people outside the church on, well, what, why is there a fight going on in the church about it? Why do people feel so sort of passionately about it on one side or the other? And so whichever side you take of the debate, it gives you an opportunity to say, well, this is why I feel that we should or shouldn't bless same-sex couples. And that gives you an opportunity to talk about the real heart of Christian faith, because both both sort of, you know, um, sides of the argument, I think, have their reasons as to why they take the view they do that hopefully go back to the very heart of their understanding of Christian faith. And so therefore, in what sense, if you had, a positive way of looking at it is to think this gives you an opportunity to say, well, this is why I take the view I do, and this is where it's rooted in, in, in my own Christian faith. Now, that will be different for different people in the argument, but I think that's one way to think about it. Yeah, and one of the other things that I wanted to ask you about is is the role of, of a bishop. Yeah. You know, mm. if anybody's come in for a bit of a kick in over the last few weeks, it's been the bishops for mm. being uh, maybe described as, a well, there's been all sorts of suggestions and allegations. Well, hi everyone. My name's uh, Father Alex. Uh, I'm the vicar of St Matthew's in Burnley. I'm the host of the Godcast, and I'm delighted to say that uh, joining me on the Godcast today is Martin Oborn. Now, Martin is the vicar of St Michael's Elmwood Road, Chiswick. Is that right, Martin? Correct. Yes. Yes. Good. And you are—you've been the vicar there since 2012, I believe. Yes. So about 11 years. And you, and you're also the chair of. 
of Watch, which could you just explain to people what that is, Martine? Yes, Watch, Women and the Church. It's a national campaign group for equality for women in the Church of England. And it's sort of there to really raise awareness about discrimination, things like, you know, when churches will only appoint a male vicar or they won't have a female bishop. But I mean, also, I mean, two thirds of the people who go to church in this country are women. And I see our role really is also, I mean, speaking out not just for women, but uh, for all people who face discrimination in our church. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Well, we'll we'll come back to that in a moment, Martine. First, uh, a little bit about yourself, if that's all right, because I think people who tune into religious podcasts, um, one of the, one of the things that intrigues people is is individual callings. Just tell us a bit about how you came to the priesthood. Was it was it a straightforward process, or did it catch you well, by surprise? It- It was a really long, long journey, partly because of the problems that women have had in the past with their callings. So I was kind of one of those, you know, kind of geeky spiritual kids who like went to church, constantly reading my Bible and everything. Uh, And so I can really trace my calling back, I suppose, to time when I was at school, probably about 10. And, you know, the teacher was going around the room saying, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, one guy was saying, oh, I want to be an astronaut. And like, I want to be you know, the prime minister and what have you. And I said, um, hold that for a second. Or you need to do that. You know, or he'd tell me off for messing about on stage. So it was, it, yeah, Panto's great. And now I direct and I write and I, I love that. Yeah, yeah. I um just think about what you said there about uh, being with me with my boss. You know, so do you um do you, do you see your talent as a gift, Mike? Do you, you know, I'm chatting. Uh, a mate of mine is Jimmy Cricket, who's 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 son's, oh, who's son's yeah. a priest. Then you know, and I've had a few other. Uh, Tommy Cannon came on. He's he's a religious uh, guy. Do, do you do you think your what you have is is a gift that's been given to you? That's a brilliant question, Alex, and one that I, I I can only answer when I see your boss and say, "Did you?" I just feel as if when I was being made, I felt like he 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 put on the arms, he put the legs, and then it even came to the brains. He went, "Oh, we ran out. We've run out of really good, clever brains." But we've got what's this box? Funny bones. Give him some of them. Give him some of them. And and I think yeah, I, I mm, it's a that's a brilliant question. I just you know. I think, yeah, everything's a gift, isn't it? But it's a gift. I've been given it, but I've still had to work at it to make it a really good gift. Yeah. That makes but, sense. You know, I, I, you know, I think about this. I mean, I'm I, I, I'm not claiming to be funny, but I think some people just say I've got one at a funny face. And But but I think people like you, you know, particularly through like COVID and stuff, you will have you will have made a big difference to people's lives because you've got the gift of, of, of laughter in you. And, and uh I think the value of that has been undervalued, I think, in the recovery from... from Didn't want to... Us being us, we didn't want to be part of any kind of scene. We, we, uh, we for right or wrong, we kept ourselves very uh, singular and away from from the rest of any kind of scene, really. Uh, yeah. And, and, and did you enjoy the success, Pete, or was it, was it troublesome... Well, you know, there's a large group of people in that band, you know, um, did it take much for, for disagreement to happen? You Well, one of the skills that you have to learn as a musician, and it was like just eight blokes and a driver, 
and a, and a tour manager in minibuses. Touring was intense, you know, um, long tours that we did and, and spent a lot of time in each other's pockets. One of the skills that you learn um, is, is knowing when to sit on your hands and bite your lip and not because it can get very heated. <laughs> With a lot of young young guys and a lot of egos in the in the van and just just attitude, just you know, I was like nineteen, twenty, and all that stuff. But um, now, well, like Hinge and Bracket, for those who can remember those remember. characters from the from the nineteen seventies, I don't know why he tolerated me. I don't know why he put up with me because we just had a most bizarre relationship for. Three and a half years afterwards, and in the end, I took a really, really big gamble, and I irritated, I knocked him, seriously knocked him, I irritated him, and he could have finished me, uh, but it worked. Thank, thankfully, thankfully, the gamble worked, and then we got back on side with each other again, and and and, and things were were more or less good um, there, 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 and after. But like I say, I, I'm daft as it sounds. I'm the only guy on the planet who spent twenty five years on the inside with him. Uh, in a working capacity, in a, in a journalistic capacity. Uh, David Meek, the late great David Meek, did the full 26 years uh, between 86 and 95 as a Manchester Evening News correspondent. Then he, then he wrote Sorrelexus Programme Notes after that. Stuart Matheson of the Manchester Evening News did between 1995 and 2013. Uh, but I did the longest stint between 1988 and 2013, 25 years in total. And they were they, they were amazing years. They were, the thing about writing them is, and if I, if I ever if I ever do publish them, it is an honest assessment of this is what it is like working in football journalism. This is what it is like being around a huge, iconic, and powerful figure like Sir Alex. It's not slagging anybody off or anything like that. It's just how me for trade, which is the one that most people are focused on. Time will, I think, prove we've got it right, and and you're beginning to see that in the last year. Yeah, I mean, my 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 worry. I mean, I worry about it about whether I made the right decision, and I, and I'm going to use a very 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 basic analogy, Nick. It might surprise you. Through the jar of a, a jar of Robertson's marmalade is, which is my favourite breakfast accompaniment, and I paid two pounds thirty for a jar of Robertson's marmalade last week. And I couldn't believe that I only I love I pay it because I love it, but I couldn't believe how expensive it was. And I was and I came away thinking, is this because of Brexit? Is this because of Ukraine? Is this because of uh, bad management, mm. poor governance? And I really don't know the answer. What What would you say? Well, I would say, uh, as in ever, as as in me for trade, which is the one that most people are focused on. Time will, I think, prove we've got it right, and and you're beginning to see that in the last year. Yeah, I mean, my 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 worry. I mean, I worry about it about whether I made the right decision, and I, and I'm going to use a very 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 basic analogy, Nick. It might surprise you. Through the jar of a, a jar of Robertson's marmalade is, which is my favourite breakfast accompaniment, and I paid two pounds thirty for a jar of Robertson's marmalade last week. And I couldn't believe that I only I love I pay it because I love it, but I couldn't believe how expensive it was. And I was and I came away thinking, is this because of Brexit? Is this because of Ukraine? Is this because of uh, bad management, 
mm. poor governance? And I really don't know the answer. What What would you say? Well, I would say, uh, as in ever, as as in in a very professional way, because you know, if there aren't standards in place, if there isn't some uh, level of expectation, you're going to fail almost on a, a perennial basis, aren't you? So, how do? What's the kind of the ground rules that you set, Brent, at your club? Well, I I always look at it this way. I know I've always used this philosophy, you know, well, certainly since I've been at Baker, I've always used the philosophy is that uh, I try to manage and run this football club on the template of a football league club, but with no money. And it doesn't cost anything to be professional. You know, you can be professional. You don't cost, it doesn't cost anything. You know, it's all about it's all about preparation. So, you know, let's get it right. If you if you prepare right, and and I'll give you an. In- David, I can ask you so many questions. Um, let's just talk <laughs> about, let's talk about. Um, I, I want to bring the church in a little bit, if that's all right, uh, because you are an openly gay man, and I'm part of inclusive church, um, and the church has been in the news in the last week because of this. Uh, failure, in my view, to legitimise and legalise gay marriage. Do you do you think the church is actually relevant anymore to, uh, well, to secular gay people uh, first and foremost? But but also, you know, there's a lot of gay gay Christians. I know a lot of gay Christians. You know, well, what's your take on it, David, in terms of the church and and as an institution and its role in society now? Well, I'm a Christian. I was brought up, uh, I was served as an altar boy in a Church of England uh, church. I sang in the choir. It was very much part of my life. And I feel very abandoned by the Church of England. I think it is a terrible institution. Um, whilst religion is still very important to me, the organisation, and the fact is, it seems to me you've got a bunch of people who are running the, the church to suit themselves. And they're not listening to their parishioners. And and one of the things that I always say about this is I don't really understand why they've got such a problem with gay marriage when the greatest gift God gave was love. A conservative, uh, the more conservative evangelical approach to Christianity is is a is a matter of indoctrination. And you talk about your students coming to you to you uh, again. You know, I, I know a few uh, 18, 19, 20 year olds in my own house um, that they're they seem to be up for education, but deeply opposed to indoctrination. And I was wondering uh, if it, if you think it comes down to that fundamentally when we're teaching people. Definitely, I think one of the uh, one of the fascinating things with the current generation is that um, what we learned, you know, most of us in our seminaries and in our education were we need to learn the critical engagement with whatever we receive. It's something that we learned. But this generation, right from their childhood, they question. They don't take anything for granted. They won't take anything and uh, no for an answer. They want to engage. They want to have a debate. They want to, because they have grown up in that free thinking society, particularly uh, in the European context. And also from my own experience, even in uh, what is now called the global South, which is equally technologically exposed to the wider realities of the world. Therefore, I think when we, when it comes to questions of faith and doctrine and uh, and belief, the reason that, you know, uh, the fact that 60% of young people in this country 
don't want to be part of any organized religion is that because organized religion in very often doesn't allow that debate, doesn't allow that questioning. Fighting the good fight until I die. Are you a forgiving person, Melanie? Yeah, I forgive everyone. You know what I learned to do when I meditate as well, and I learned this through meditation, is it's sometimes they'll say, think about um, a neighbour and just send all the love to a neighbour, and then it'll say, send love to somebody that hurt you. And when I very first heard that, I was in my meditation going, I'm not bloody doing that. And then I suddenly thought the worst, the person that really hurt me the most, and I sent love to him, and I send love to everybody, always. Yeah. It's a fallback position for me now. Do you know, Melanie, why I'm asking you that is that we've, we have we have lots of people who are quite hurt who come to our church, and some of them find it really difficult to forgive because no. of the damage and the hurt that's gone on to them. Yeah. And- and I always say to them, you know, forgiveness is a wonderful thing to be able to do. It's not easy. No. Just, can you can you encourage people, uh, maybe yeah. offer some wisdom? Right. No, I, well, God, I mean, wisdom, that just flags it up as I've got to say something really bloody wise. So don't put that pressure on me. But one of the things I will say, I mean, I've always been. I've, I've 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 got a really bad memory as well, so I forget the pain that I've experienced, which helps with the forgiveness. <laughs> but ultimately, holding pain hurts you. And I I realise when anything has ever come into my life that has really really wanted to take me down, I have to dig deep and find out why I allowed it, why I didn't love myself enough to to stand up for myself and work on that use all your energy on working on that because that person is not you they have their own and